Father, we just come to you once again for the ministry of your word. We pray, Father, above all, you will give us hearing ears. That we will hear what your spirit teaches us. I pray, I'll decrease, all of us will decrease, Christ will increase, Christ will speak, and Christ will, in us, will receive. With the word you speak are words of life, and also it will become life for us. That constantly there is an exchange, your life becoming our life. We are only losing to gain, losing our life to gain yours. Let it be, Father. Speak to us this evening. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> so as we continue, as we continue, uh, please focus, please concentrate, keep your Bibles this, the, the messages, the script will come, of course, on the screen. But always have your diary or your book and your pen with you, all those who are listening, because you may hear something that God tells you, which concerns only you. And that has to be the Word of God for you. And don't forget the big picture. The big picture about it all is God. <clears throat> like in English, we use this term that... Carrot and stick policy. Okay, the donkey is given the carrot and uh, it's also given the stick. The carrot doesn't work. Yeah, can hear? Use the stick. So God knows we are like donkeys, quite stubborn in our ways. So sometimes he gives us the carrot and we go a little while and then it doesn't work. He uses the stick motivation and it is scripture. Romans chapter 11 and verse 22 says, consider, consider the carrot and the stick of God. Okay. The goodness and the severity of God. Okay. Those who fell, severity. Those who were very stubborn, severity. And those, and towards us, goodness, if we continue. So understand, always get the picture of God. Don't tilt on either side. We, we, Preachers struggle, honestly, real. Our struggle is not in, it's not in studying the word. Our struggle is not even in preaching the word. Our struggle is maintaining this balance so that we put across the picture of God, which is true to who he is. That's our biggest, biggest, okay? It is not enough to be true what we say to the text. It is more important to be true to the person. You see, the text that was given to Moses was, you stand before second time. First time text was different. Second time text was different. Given by both by the same person. Second time he told him, stand before the rock and speak to it. Okay? And what happened is that uh, he lost it. He's his emotions got over him and he struck the rock. The water came out and uh, everybody's thirst was quenched. So he was not 
true either to the text or to the person. Okay, to the person. But the people were blessed. The people were blessed. So that's where we have to be very, very careful. People were blessed. They all got their water. But he got judged because he did not honor the person. Honor the person of God. And people did not even know that he had strayed from the text. Okay, he had, he, he alone knew he had strayed away from the text. So this is the balance we preachers struggle with always. My struggle always has been that how to balance grace and truth and never go to the law. And when I don't go to the law and I preach against the law, people get upset, but I know the danger of going to the law. So like Israel, the church too has been warned of the coming of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Antichrist. And we've been asked to prepare for both. Okay, both for Christ and the Antichrist. To be forewarned and to be prepared is good. So this time we are getting is an excellent gift from God to his children to prepare. Yeah, old KJV English will use it as this is a time to gird our loins. Okay? Gird our loins. So in Hebrews 12 and verse 22 to 23, using an old covenant term with incredible depth and meaning, eternal significance, 22 and 23. So we are come to Mount Zion. Unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable holy day. So we are given a picture of the unseen. Okay? Unseen. It's an incredible picture of the unseen. Mount Zion, city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company. It's not talking about the heavens, new heavens, or new earth. We are straight away transported to the new city. And the pinnacle of that city, like in Jerusalem of the old, is Mount Zion. Okay? An innumerable company of angels. That is the unseen. Then we are transported back to the scene. The scene is this. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Okay, we are being transported because like I said, we, the church, lives in a multi-dimensional reality. You are here as a church, even in your homes, we are in the spirit gathered together on earth, but don't forget your reality. Your reality is that and your reality is though we are gathered on earth, don't forget the other reality. You have come to Mount Zion itself. Bible that doesn't call God, see, uh, positionally, it does not even call the church new, new heaven or new earth. It doesn't, it doesn't even call it first the new Jerusalem. It calls it the pinnacle of Jerusalem, which is Mount Zion. And we have to look at it. This is what God calls. Meaning, He says, this is my desire for you. My desire for you as a father. My desire for you. All the people from Adam till the last man. He says, they are my creation. They are my children. I am God. But my desire for you is not new earth or not even new heaven. I might desire for you that you be Zion. But there's a problem with Zion. Amos 6.1 His symbol of perfection in the Old Testament is Zion. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. Okay? So he says, okay? So he says, don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. 
Okay, don't. It's like you finish class 10. Maybe you got first rank. But when you come to class 11, you cannot relax. It's a, that's over. <laughs> that's over and done. Your class 10 first rank or distinction is not going to make any difference in class 11. This is a different ball game altogether. Okay. So God is saying that don't, don't be complacent. Don't take it for granted. Hmm? Vote to those who are at ease in Zion. Okay. So the principle is here. Do not be at ease. Do not be complacent. Like I said, apathy about the things of God. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Apathy about the things of God. We have to be very, 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 very careful about it. Very careful about it. Because, and the thing is that we can't blame our children. We can't blame our children. We have taught them to be gung-ho and so serious and dedicated about the things of this world. And we ourselves have portrayed a picture before them that we are not so gung-ho about the things of God. Okay, And God is saying, change it during this time. By God's grace, I'm saying God's grace. I look at things differently. He has extended the lockdown. Because I believe many parents haven't changed. So he says, I'm very concerned about your children. I told you, I did not say stop the parents from coming to me. I said, do not stop your children from coming to me. They are, see, the, the, the world is always only one generation away from perishing. One generation. You lose the next generation, you have lost. You have lost. Okay, so God is very, very, very concerned about our children. And the children don't hear, they see. They see. They watch, they see. Okay, they see. And it is very easy for them to note whether their father or their mother is interested in God or something else. It's very easy. And it just gets in. So you will see some of our children will be always, you know, with the dupatta, covering their head and walking around that. So immediately, you know, they've seen it at home. They've seen it at home. Okay. Some of our children are exactly the opposite. And you will see, they have seen it at home or somewhere else. Okay, because children don't hear, they see. They see. Okay, so God is talking about that. Don't go to East at Zion. Don't go to be East at Zion. What to those? Daniel's generation was at ease in Judah and Israel. In spite of all the warnings of a few. Though the majority prophesied peace and victory, there was sound voices from God. Yeah, Jeremiah especially, very clear voices. But finally, Nebuchadnezzar came and swept them away into captivity. And all who went into captivity were ill-prepared for what came. They were locked down. They were locked out of Jerusalem and locked into Babylon. And if you look at it, they all disappeared into that ocean called Babylon. And there is no testimony of almost 99% of them. The testimony was gone. Because they were not prepared. And our children also like disappear into this ocean called this world. And the Bible keeps warning. And the Bible warns of perilous times. Especially in the last days. Look at Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Perilous times. 
I know that in the last days, so we are people living in the last days. Okay? Though it began when the church began, we are living in the last of the last days. So we are living in perilous, you know, the theologians, you know, I leave these detailed study to theologians and people like Pastor Vijay because I don't have the time to study Greek and Hebrew at this age. I can't even drive a vehicle properly at this age. So how can I study Greek and Hebrew? So I leave it to that. So they say this term called perilous is used with the man called at gatherings, gatherings, totally mad. That same construction is used there. Okay, perilous, maddening times will come. Let us use that term. Maddening times will come. Terrible times. And what is the result of this maddening times? First Timothy four one. Okay, you have to put it across. What will be the result of this crazy time? Yeah, first Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, meaning last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You have to, see this is all written to the church. The world doesn't understand. The world is blind. So the church is saying in the last days, this will be crazy maddening times. As a result of it is that a lot of people from the church will fall away from the faith. That is the terrible thing that is happening. And we don't see, because we are looking at physical things, it's oh, lockdown, economy. God says, you are not seeing spiritually. He says, the greatest and the most terrible thing that can happen in the world is the people who were in faith fell away. That's the most terrible thing that can happen. Somebody who was standing on the way to go to heaven has fallen away, is on the way to hell. He says, you don't realize, you are looking at temporal reality. The temporal reality, yes, there is a virus. The temporal reality is economies will crash. He says, that's irrelevant. The world is destined to perish anyway. He says the dangerous thing which you are missing is this. The terrible, maddening reality of the last days is this. People will fall away from faith, from life to death. And you don't see that. And the reason, because they are giving heed to demonic, deceiving spirits and false doctrines and deceiving spirits will fill the airwaves and people will Fall away. And you need to realize that is a sign. The problem is with what we is happening within the church is the sign, not what is happening outside. And Judah and the northern kingdom did not see what was happening inside. Okay. What Nebuchadnezzar came and did was irrelevant. What happened was what was happening inside. The whole two nations was flooded with false prophets. And the nation had to first fall away from God before the enemy could come and take it. Take them away. The Antichrist cannot come and take over the world unless the church has fallen away from Christ. Okay. Cannot fall away. And that is the danger to which the church has to awaken. Church has to awaken. Okay, so you have to see the result is false doctrine, and the f- the effect of it is people falling away from faith, which is the true doctrine. We looked at truth yesterday. Okay, people when people fall away, they are falling away from truth, the true doctrine. Okay, and how do we know a doctrine is true 
or false. Simple test. I am not talking to theologians. I am talking to people who are listening. These are simple people in the house. Our job is to teach them. And how does a simple man of God or a child of God, a simple person who has come to come to the knowledge of the Lord, is in church, different places in the world, and has to work and all, and they have to live regular lives unlike us who are on the, in the called to teach the word of God. If you go to Second Timothy chapter three, one onwards, what is, how do you distinguish a doctrine that is true, and how do you distinguish a doctrine that is false? Look at this. But know this in the last days, terrible, maddening, crazy, perilous times will come. Reason, because of what is spoken. Okay, doctrine, what is taught. And how do you know what is true? Men will be lovers of themselves. Forget the rest of it. Forget the rest of it. Look at what is mentioned first. They are lovers of themselves. Meaning a kind of doctrine will be prevalent in the society where where people who were lovers of God, lovers of Christ, will be subtly made into lovers of themselves. Where the doctrine takes your eye of Christ and tells the gospel is about you and not about him. And it will be done so subtly. And that's it. The rest is a result of that. I cannot be a lover of money and boaster and prouder and blast all this unless I am a lover of myself. Lover of pleasure and all that. It's all is connected to the first thing. First thing. You become. And how do you become a lover of self? It is done through the pulpit. It's a result of a doctrine that is preached. And doctrines are not preached in the world. That is okay. We don't have to worry about what is ideology is happening in the world. These ideologies are always there. But the church always has to stand strong in that one ideology. This is the ideology of Christ that is called truth. And as long as we keep our eyes on Christ Jesus, that it is not about me, it's about him. Nothing will happen. But if we take our eyes off him and think the gospel is about me and not about him, then take your eyes off the kingdom, focus your eyes on this world, the falling away starts. Because the world is falling anyway. And we we become part of the world and start falling away. And slowly we become lovers of money. And lovers of pleasure. Because once you become a lover of self, if you have to feed yourself, you need money. And when you have self-love and love of money, then you become a lover of pleasure. Zion goes into ease. Zion goes into ease. Okay? You start feeding self. So be careful. Paul is telling. So Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy, but God is writing to us. Okay? Paul is writing to Timothy, but God is writing to us. And if God is using the pen of Paul, the letter to Timothy, to warn all of us. And this is what he tells Timothy. Timothy, this is how you be safe. Telling all of us, this is how you be safe. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. This is the only way you can be safe in perilous time. But you have carefully followed my doctrine. Carefully follow truth. The doctrine of Christ. Carefully. 
carefully like a mathematical equation carefully follow my manner of life okay timothy can follow paul's manner of life we don't know much but we can follow the manner of christ timothy had seen him walked with him but we have seen christ and we are seeing entire spectrum of people in whom the spirit of christ lived carefully follow that manner of life carefully follow the purpose of christ carefully follow faith and long suffering and love and perseverance okay that's what he's telling carefully and the first thing put over there is doctrine carefully doctrine has to be truth truth itself in itself is a complete doctrine be carefully follow my doctrine in second timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 he again defines doctrine second timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 Got it? Got it? Yeah. For time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Time will come they will not endure sound doctrine. That's a problem. A time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine truth but according to their own desires because they are lovers of self now they will start looking for doctrine that sanctions their life the self okay like i said yesterday no many times the problem is once god breathed into man even though he fell from that image he cannot live without truth so they need doctrine they cannot live without doctrine there is no man who can live without doctrine doesn't matter how far removed you are from god like when the american indian tribes were there okay they are so far away removed no missionaries nothing white man has even come nobody has given gone over there they have been separated by the oceans i don't know from where they reached there or whatever happened but they realized okay uh, stealing is wrong only if you steal from your own tribe but if you steal from the other tribe it is okay okay but i've never heard a cat repent for stealing milk no asking for forgiveness and all that because god is not breathed into them you cannot live without truth that is what doctrine means so what will they do because they cannot endure sound doctrine they will start heaping up teachers who will give them doctrine according to their flesh according to their self so what is again the proof of sound doctrine we also say my sound doctrine is proof but what is the proof because you have now now everybody is locked in and government is giving plain no power cuts and high speed internet so everybody has choice to listen or watch whatever they want right whatever they want so how do you know a doctrine is sound 
Because everybody is coming, standing behind a pulpit, some very opulent, some very simple, and everybody is lifting the same word, and everybody is saying, I am preaching the word of God, and some of them say, yes, the Lord told me also. So how do you know which doctrine is sound? These are simple questions people ask. And we need to have an answer for that. Look at what the Bible says. Proof of sound doctrine. First Timothy 6.3 If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. That's the key. The key is that if this doctrine I receive, does it make me more godly or less godly? The simple litmus test. Does this not does this make me worldly or godly? It's a simple question. Simple question. Litmus test. Does it make me godly? Okay. That's the difference between what is true and what is false. In Second Timothy 3.5 Paul talks also about it. Having a form of a godliness, but denying its power. From such people turn away. There is form and there is substance. Now this is going beyond doctrine that accords to godliness, going deeper to a doctrine that does not just have a form of godliness, but has the substance of godliness. Okay, these are all litmus tests given to the children of God because you have to put a price tag on your soul. That's the most precious thing that you own on earth is your soul. Okay, so it's not enough somebody, somebody preaches about godliness. You also have to see if he is consistent about godliness. Or he preaches sometimes godliness and sometimes he preaches worldliness. Consistently about godliness and consistent about what he talks about the world. Because consistency is important. Consistency is important, no? Like, uh, Pastor Vijay was using cricket in the morning, no? So let me also use cricket, no? 2017, first match he hits a hundred and after that six matches duck. Okay, because he hit a hundred, you give him his seventh chance. Again, he hits fifty. After that, five matches duck. The selectors, what will you do? They don't know when he will hit a century. How long can you keep him in the team? No. What do selectors look? Selectors are looking for another fellow. He comes first match, he hit thirty. Second match, he hit thirty. Fourth match, he hit twenty-five. But he look at him. At least he's consistent. No. They will say, this fellow is what we say in old English, this thing, Western English, he's a flash in the pan. You know? So, God also, you also have to look at consistency. You look at people like Zach Poonen or David Wilkerson or Derek Prince and all of the, what do you see? What is that about? They're consistent. They're very consistent. They don't, and their doctrine is a doctrine that is in accord with God's godliness. Godliness. They do not change their doctrine. Okay, that's what God is talking about. So, if truth is a weapon, we looked at it as truth as the most 
powerful. I personally believe truth is the most powerful weapon. Okay, tomorrow we'll look at another weapon. If truth is the most powerful weapon, then it has to accord with godliness. Otherwise, it is not true. It's not true. So, as we go into today's message, before that, one word. Titus 1.1. 1, 1. Titus has only one chapter. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of truth, which accords with godliness. Okay? That's the nature of truth. Truth will always agree with godliness. What is godliness? It's the nature of God. What is truth? God is truth. So truth always have to agree with godliness. Okay? Truth has to agree with godliness. So let's get to today's message. We saw yesterday about truth as a weapon. And the devil knows truth is the most powerful weapon. So what is the doctrines of demons? The effect of doctrines of demons? It is basically to water down truth. That is the doctrines of demons. They cannot come and preach a lie. Nobody will believe it. Nobody will buy it. Nobody will buy it. Satan did not come and say straight away a lie. He didn't. He just questioned the truth. Created doubt about the truth. Slowly towards the end, he turned truth on itself. No, you will surely not die. God had said, surely you will die. But before that, he created an entire smoke screen about how God doesn't have your best interests in life and all that. God is like, no, he's insecure, actually. You see, I'm very secure. God is very insecure because, you see, God thinks if you eat it, you will be like him. I have no insecurity. See, I, I'm talking to you from a point of insecurity. No, I have no security. I would like you to be like God. Be wise, like God. Okay, so he flips the coin around and they, be, they eat it. They buy that, they buy that lie. But he won't say that in the beginning. He won't say that in the beginning. Okay, so this is, this is his whole thing. Okay, remember, the doctrine of demons is to dilute, 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 dilute. Finally, the whole thing becomes a lie. There's nothing of truth left. Okay, but you don't go there in one day. It is a process. Okay. So we saw yesterday the spirit of discontentment. It's a huge, huge thing, massive thing in your life because every day you have to consciously, spiritually see that you enter into God's rest. That can only happen with repentance and turning to God constantly. You have to. Rest is a marker because God works from rest and the ungodly works from restlessness works from rest. It's always that. It, irrelevant what your situation is. Daniel was put into the lion of dens. And Daniel must have slept nicely, but the king couldn't sleep at all. The king who put him could not sleep at all. And he is the one who comes in the morning and says, Daniel, and Daniel so God be with you. I am fine. Okay. So your, your situation is irrelevant. You could be surrounded by lions, but you are at rest. And you are absolutely secure over there outwardly. You are surrounded by your bodyguards, but you cannot sleep. Okay, so please remember, spirit of discontentment is very, very important because 
The opposite is the spirit of contentment. You are content in Christ, therefore you have rest. And that is how Jesus walked. If you looked at Jesus, he had no money in his pocket. He had no house to go and sleep. He did not carry a dhari, even a mat with him to go and sleep in the garden. But you never saw a man at rest like that. And you look at his lifestyle, every morning he consciously entered into his father's rest and then went to work. That's a choice God's children have to make. Okay. Second thing we saw how the spirit blinds us with movement. Lord of movement. But there's no progress. <laughs> no progress. Okay, they're moving, 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 moving. It isn't fighting battles, winning. But they haven't possessed one inch in the promised land after 40 years. They're great testimony. Look at our clothes. Look at our shoes. Look at our body. Look at my biceps. Look at my... No, what packs? Six packs. That's why they are. Six packs. All of them. Look at them. My God, they should have seen their calves. They had walked for 40 years. Fit as a fiddle. Every one of them. Not someone, nobody feeble. Nobody sick. Their clothes are like fantastic. They've, everything is great. And they fought battles also. Did he possess even one inch? No. Okay. Spiritual progress is null. Lot of spiritual movement. No progress. And the devil will deceive us with that. We think movement is progress. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Yes, today is the 26th. Today is 15. We started on Saturday the 21st. So 11 plus 15 is 26th day of four hours of teaching. We have acquired so much, all those who have been listening. But that doesn't mean progress. That only means movement. That only means movement. That movement has to be translated into progress, spiritual progress. If it has radically changed, like you can't do much in your house now. So if it, but if it has affected one part of your life, the most important part of your life, if it has radically changing your prayer life, then there is progress. There is progress. If it has radically changed the way you are relating to the people with whom you are caught in, then you are making progress, not movement. Then you're making progress and not just movement. And we have to look at those things. If nothing has changed in 25 years, your relationship in the four walls you're caught in is exactly the same or worse, then there is no progress. There's only movement. So be careful about that. And then we saw yesterday the spirit of apathy. Right? Apathy. After sometimes you get used to it. I like this life. Honestly. If God, government were to send the vegetable and the food to everybody's fund and send the check into their pay every month, they sent you, you know, 10,000 rupees, everybody will get used to it. They say, this is a nice lifestyle. This is the best government we ever had. You know, after some time, children of Israel said, this is a life, nice life only. You know? Scripture says in one of the smaller prophets, God says, in, do you know your fathers never offered me a sacrifice in the wilderness? Why should you offer a sacrifice when the food comes free? Food is free, cloth is free, everything is free. No need to sacrifice. The fellow who goes to work will ask for blessings. I'm going to work. Please, Lord, help me today. Let, let my boss not be angry with me. And Lord, let me get a promotion or a salary hike. The fellow is getting it free. Why does he need to sacrifice? He doesn't have to sacrifice. That mentality gets in. Mentality gets in. Okay, remember. So that's how apathy gets in. 
into the into your system because our doctrine has gone out that you are the children of god you are entitled to all this righteousness is your right you don't have to grow in your righteousness anymore you are perfect you don't have to work towards growing in your righteousness blessings are your right because remember who you are you can just name it you can claim it and you can speak it or like Kenneth Copeland says, you are all little gods, don't forget. You're all little gods. Okay. Remember how its doctrine falls, doctrine sets in. Okay? And then you know what steps in and complacency steps in in spiritual things. Okay, if I am perfect, then I don't have to work towards perfection. If I am righteous, then I don't have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. If I am already righteous, then the Bible says, if the righteous are scarcely, say, I am sir, I am righteous. I don't have to worry about my salvation, about growth and about judgment at all. I just have to be cool. When I get there, God will say, take care of, not 10, 20 cities. Okay, so be very, very careful. These are doctrines, and behind every doctrine there are spirits that are operating. They are not the same. They are different, different, different spirits operating, looking to snare people in the last days, especially. Another one of the spirits is what I called <clears throat> the spirit of accommodation. The broad road Jesus talks about is the spirit of accommodation. Okay. The first step Daniel and his three friends take is we will not give in to this spirit of accommodation. We will not give room to this. Zion was at ease. But the Zion in them would not be at ease. Okay. Please understand that. If you look at the motive behind everything, that Nebuchadnezzar did in Daniel chapter 1, 3 to 5. Daniel chapter 1, 3 to 5. The king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for all this. One motive, that so that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. The motive is good. Nothing wrong with the motive. It's, they, they got a lucky break. Instead of being sold in some slave block and end up in some house as a slave for the rest of your life, these guys got an incredible break. And all cultures have done it. All cultures have done it. Okay. What was he trying to do? Like he did with all young men, he brought it from other nations he conquered. What is he trying with them? He's to try, he's trying to make good Babylonians out of this for out of this Jewish boys. Okay. The entire process and education, everything is aimed at assimilating them into the Babylonian culture. So that they could serve at his court. Please understand the spirit of assimilation. 
doctrine. That doctrine has incredible power. And for thousands of years, nations have gone through this. Akbar even tried to assimilate the whole nation into creating a new religion called Din Ilahi. Which was a mixture of Islam and Hinduism so that the whole nation would accept it and be one. Assimilation is what all rulers have done with good intention. Intention is not bad. Intention is not bad. Intention is good. But remember, it's dangerous for the believer. And much of Christianity has been swallowed up by the spirit of assimilation. Okay, If you look even till today, there are so many nations in the world with their own unique national identity. And that is their pride. And now this current government is basically to try to bring back all those. I don't know where they are trying to bring their identity from because before the British came in, we were a thousand countries. Okay, If the British hadn't been there, we would have been like Africa. Africa, broken into so many nations and so many, we were like that. Okay, the British came and made us into one nation and they left, so we remained as a nation. Okay, understand that. Thousand kings, so many provinces before they came and everybody fought with everybody. And everybody was a slave, living to the whims and the fancies of the small kings and the big kings. Everything. You don't want to hear the stories of India. Actual stories of India, you don't want to even hear. It is so terrible and shameful, some of them. We only will picture their glory, but how the common man actually lived in this country. No rights. Even the women had no rights. When a, In so many of the provinces, when a man married, the girl has to sleep with the Lord first before he gets his wife. The story of India. Nobody talks about all those things. They all have to be covered with their identity, which is of pride. And that's what the story everywhere. Okay? So identities are there and countries take pride in their identities. National identity. Among all, all nations have an identity. And each nation tries to get their various groups to assimilate into one identity. But the problem is, the Church of Jesus Christ, which is spread around the world, is also a nation in itself. And it has a national identity, and the national identity it is a holy nation. He says, that's your identity. We know that, First Peter 2, 9. You are a holy nation. The problem is, when you are a holy nation, and that's my identity, and I'm living in a country, whether it is India or China or Europe or anywhere, that is the place I'm living. And that identity and this identity clashes. What do you do? What do you do? Because the identity of the world is not holy. It's not holy. The identity of God's people is you are a holy nation. So everything Nebuchadnezzar is doing is good from his perspective to assimilate different cultures and make it into one culture called Babylonian culture. Intention is all these young people after three years, if they come through, will serve in the royal court. They will be in the royal civil service. 
incredible. But the problem is there is for young men who has a different identity, very vibrant inside. Their identity is holy. And so they look at accommodation and assimilation. They understand they are both spirits working together. If we accommodate this little thing and start eating it, we will lose our spiritual identity as a holy nation. So they make a decision. We will not defile ourselves. This is when the believer gets into trouble. All over the world, especially US now, what you see is identity politics. It is all identity politics. And that's where America split like crazy. And the church is split like crazy. I get so angry sometimes when I see how they, you know, they see themselves as black and white. Afro-American Christians. Come on. And I have the right to talk to you because we lived under 300 years of white man's rule. And I have no issues with the white man. <laughs> because I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. And never look at a white man and say, okay, I have an issue with you. You enslaved my nation. I have no issues with you. Because even before you came, we were enslaved by sin. We were all slaves. You were also a slave. I was also a slave. There was no difference. So I don't look with that color lens. I look at the fact that, you know what, in Christ I am free. So I am colorblind. I am colorblind. Because if you play identity politics, then that identity becomes bigger than your other identity and you will never become that holy nation. Holy nation becomes secondary. That is not primary. Primary is this. I am a holy nation. If I am a holy nation, then I have to fight all these things that is in opposition to it. So race is an opposition to it. Color is an opposition to it. Caste is an opposition. Anything that is added to that term, Christian is an opposition to my identity as a whole. That's why when I got saved, the first tag I removed was a tag called Christian. I'm not a Syrian. And when there was a vacancy in the college where I studied for in the English department, all I had to was add that and get a paper from my church, I would have been a prof there. But that would be identity politics. Identity politics. And we we don't want that identity. We don't. That's why we, I don't want a reservation. Though I have nothing against Christians who take reservation. That's your call. It's not mine. What I'm saying is that is, we have only one identity. What is our identity? We are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. All over the world, people fight with this. So three boys, four boys took a small step. Okay, it's like Neil Armstrong said, one small step for man, a giant leap for, one small step for four men, a giant leap for the kingdom of God. God would have a testimony which would last eternity. Small step for four men. Giant leap for the kingdom of God. Till today, nobody will forget that four names. Even children know. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Everybody knows. Three boys who went to fire. Everybody knows that story. Why? It was a very small step. It all started with the table. Okay. So you will see for hundred years, 
our father of faith, Abraham, lived in Canaan. As an alien, as a stranger, as a sojourner, as a pilgrim. We saw all these terms yesterday, right? What does that mean? It simply means I refuse to be assimilated in the surrounding culture. I will not make accommodations with things that matter to my God. There are a lot of things doesn't matter. But a lot of things that matter. Okay? When they looked at the table, there's a spread over there. They looked and said, this and this does not matter. That's also on the Babylonian table. The table is the same. The table is not the same. They did not say, we need a separate kitchen so that we can cook our kosher food. They didn't ask any of those things. They looked at the whole table and said, this, 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 this doesn't fit in with the holy nation. This, this fits in. Can we have this? That's all they're asking. So there is a whole spectrum of things available outside there in the world in which we live, India or whichever country you're listening from. Out of that you look and see what is that fits in with the holy nation that is. So you will see Abraham had relationship with the Canaanites and he had friendships and all that all over there. Some of them helped him in battle and everything and all. But he is not getting into anything that would assimilate him with the Canaanite culture. Okay, that's what. You retain your identity through it all. You don't retain your Indian identity. You retain your holy identity. Holiness unto God. Please remember, not holiness for holiness sake. <laughs> the old covenant, the high priest, what was it? Holiness unto God. Otherwise, holiness has no meaning. It has no meaning. Because you are identified with somebody. That is God. He is the head of that nation. So he, I kept his identity through it all. And we will see in Genesis 14 and verse 13, when Lot was captured, one servant ran. Okay? One who had escaped and told, ah, his identity comes out. And told Abraham the Hebrew. Identity comes out. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't say he came and told Abraham. Doesn't say Abraham. He came and told Abraham the Hebrew. Why is his identity comes? Because only a true Hebrew can react the way he reacted. Only a true Hebrew who is in the line of Jesus Christ will lay down his life for his brother, even if it's an ungrateful brother. That's your national identity because you are a holy nation. That's the identity of your God who loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son. That's your identity. So, based on your holy identity, there are also holy reactions. And that's the reaction that will happen. So, he's identified by who he is in a strange and a foreign land. Understand, identity matters. Because the spirit of assimilation, accommodation has messed the church up. The church has lost its identity. Therefore, you have a pandemic affecting all the whole world. But nobody is standing up and asking the church, what should we do? They are asking WHO, they are asking this specialist and that specialist and this, but it never happened. If you look through the history of the, of the Bible, you will see when there was crisis, they always looked for a man of God who would have an answer. And the man of God answered, this is the answer. But the church is so assimilated and become scientific. So there's no point in asking. The world has assimilated, the church has assimilated into the world, or the world has got into the church. So there is no, you don't have an answer. You don't have an answer. You don't have an answer. Okay. Note this. 
Note this. Lot is never called a Hebrew. Though he is a Hebrew by birth. They both came from the same Khandan household. They both entered into the promised land. Hebrew means he who crossed the river. And for me, the river is not Euphrates or Tigris or any. For me, the river is Jordan. You cross river Jordan, then only you will become a Hebrew. For river Jordan is where you actually die. That's when you become a Hebrew. For me, that river is always Jordan. When you have crossed river Jordan, you die. You die. You have died to yourself. That is the river of your baptism where you have submerged and died to your identity and rise up with a new identity which is in the identity of Christ Jesus alone. Both crossed the river. One came out dead, the other came out still alive. Therefore, he's never called a Hebrew in the entire narrative, though he is Lord's nephew. So it is not crossing the river. It's how you cross the river. You will never hear him. If you look at Genesis 19 and verse 9, you will never hear the people of Sodom and Gomorrah calling him Hebrew. Instead, what they will they call? Stand back. This one came in to stay here. What do they call him? This one. This one who came to stay here. Meaning this is an alien. It's an alien. It's an immigrant. It's it's okay to be an immigrant if you have a Hebrew identity. He's an immigrant with no identity. He has no identity because he assimilated, accommodated the values of Sodom, accommodated, because to rise up in Sodom, he accommodated so many of the things, assimilated with that culture. Internally he was fighting, but he nobody knew his fight. This is what assimilation does. You think you are a part of them, but they don't think you are a part of, you are a part of them. You think you are a part of them, but they don't think you are a part of them. And what happens? You end up with no testimony. No, in testimony, what is testimony? We always, I want to give my testimony. That's not what testimony means. People think about testimony as testimony, right? God is talking about, you will take this and this is my testimony. You will put my testimony over there and from that testimony, I will speak. Okay, meaning testimony is what influences you. Your testimony is your influence. Lot had no testimony, no influence in Sodom. No influence in Sodom. And Joseph refused to make accommodation to the prevalent values of Egypt. Sleeping with anyone. Even your master's wife. He refused to assimilate with the culture that is prevalent in Egypt. In Genesis 39... Verse 14 and then 17. Immediately he is identified by his identity. She called the man of her house and spoke to them saying, He has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. So your holiness is a source of mockery for them. It has been inverted now. We are holy. He is unholy. She is not telling the truth. But he is now called by his identity. When a husband comes also, she calls him by, in verse 17, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us. Hebrew servant. 
אוקיי. But he was not ashamed of his identity. If you listen to the cupbearer when he talks to the king in Genesis 41 and verse 12. Okay, Genesis 41 and 12. There was a young Hebrew man with us there. How do you know? How do you know he was Hebrew? Because he was not ashamed of who he was. He was not ashamed of his God. Okay. There was a young Usually we hide our identity. We'll tell the rest of the story. But he was not ashamed of who he was. There was a young Hebrew over there. And you have no idea the price he's willing to pay for his identity. Everywhere. The price he's willing to pay for his identity. And that's what God was saying, talking about. You have to pick up. Why should I pick up my cross and deny myself? He says, because you have my identity. Every day you will have to pay for it. Every day you will have to pay for who you are in Christ Jesus. Your glory and everything is on that side. This side it will cost you. Let me show it to you, prove to you from scripture. In Genesis 43 and verse 32, when his brothers come and they don't know who they are, who he is, and they're all sitting together. So they set him a place by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. You know what is happening? You know how many years have passed by? 22 years have passed by. Do you know what it means? It means though he rose up the ranks in Potiphar's house and became the steward, he always ate alone. Though his head in the prison, he's still eating alone. And now he's prince of Egypt, he's still eating alone because he realized my national identity I will never forget. And because of that, I'm an abomination to them. I am fine with that. If I have to eat alone for the rest of my life because of who my God is, I will eat alone. That is his identity. The question God asks is, would you live like that? Would you be willing to live like my Joseph? That is, food is a time of fellowship. That is when everybody sits together and talks. And all his life he has eaten alone. Because nobody eats with him because of who he is. And he refuses to cover it. And he could have covered it at any time he refuses. He may be dressed like an Egyptian, looks like an Egyptian, talks like an Egyptian. But inside he is a holy nation. And darkness and light cannot fellowship. What fellowship has... Light with darkness. And it's an abomination. I would request people who are listening everywhere, do a Google, you, if you have an app, it's very easy if you don't have a concordance. Take a study, just go through the Bible and look at everything that is an abomination to God. And you ask yourself whether that abomination you sanction in your life. Then you will know whether you have assimilated or not. God hasn't changed. The new covenant, if something was an abomination to God, is it a pleasant order to him today? So if an abomination has become pleasant to you today, you know what? You have assimilated into the Babylonian culture, that area of your life. You will not allow God to touch it. And this is a man who reigned. You know why he reigned? Because he refused to let Babylon touch his soul. He said, no, my soul belongs to Christ. That is what we see over here, 43, 32. 22 years, all his life. 
You know what? NIV uses the term abomination. Many of you may not understand. NIV uses the term detestable. Detestable. Yeah? Detestable. Abomination. It's detestable to the Egyptians. Let us go one step further, right? Genesis 46, 34. That is when his brothers come over there. And he tells them, this is what you nailed the, the, the Pharaoh. You shall say your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now. Both we also and our fathers. So you may dwell in the land of Goshen, away from the Egyptians. The Egyptians don't want people coming into go um, there. So you go to Goshen. Go there. Don't stay here. Okay? For every shepherd is an abomination to thee. Okay, wait a second. A shepherd is an abomination. Any shepherd is an ab- abomination. And a Hebrew is an abomination. So he has two superlatives in his life. Adjectives. What are you? An abomination, abomination to the Egyptians. The question is to pastors I ask is, are you able to be linked to take the double superlative? I'm a Hebrew and I'm a Hebrew shepherd. But that's not how you see them today. They're glorious. But that's the truth. The spiritual reality is that I'm an abomination as a Hebrew. I'm an abomination as a shepherd. And it's well with my soul. I am not looking for any glory or honor, appreciation or anything that will cost me my identity in Christ. I will not. It will cost me my identity in Christ. Because everybody wants to be popular. But they don't realize the price that will come in eternity eternity when you try to be popular because you don't realize what part of your soul has actually made accommodations and assimilated. So people are all split. They are half Babylonians and half Hebrew. So please remember, there are doctrines and the doctrines that are empowered by unclean spirits. And these spirits take people away quietly from their faith. Which is truth. I, I want to use faith and truth together. I cannot have a faith apart from truth. If I have a faith which is apart from truth, then my faith is not true. And truth by its own very nature is exclusive. So if you go to Jude, And verse 3, this is what Jude will say, verse 3. Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. He says not that my salvation, the, the, the salvation in India, the salvation in China, the salvation in America, they are different, it's common. Everybody's salvation is the same, because the faith is the same. I found it necessary to you, to write to you, to exhorting you, to contend earnestly for the faith. You have to fight for it. Why do you have to fight for your faith? Because all these spirits will operate. And sometimes it operates through well-meaning men who do not even realize they have compromised the faith and compromised the doctrine. And every time they see the churches grow and expand and the money come in and people jump and clap and worship and all, they think their doctrine is right. Because the litmus test is not the word. The litmus test is not the person of God. The litmus test is, does does my doctrine accord to godliness? It's not that. The litmus test is everything that outward which is in the world. 
This is what. Please text Samir and say, please don't WhatsApp when we are, no, preaching. He should be listening because it's not a good thing in the group. Okay. Because everybody is watching. It's not nice. So do we have a doctrine that causes compromise? Why I'm telling it is because he always asks for prayer to be steady. Be steady now. Doctrine that causes compromise. As there is progress in faith, if you're going this way in faith, there is progress in unbelief too. We call it regress. But the world doesn't see it as regress. They see it as progress. So every demonic idea that has come, they call it progressive. Have you noticed? They call it progressive. Everything is demonic if you look at it. And they call themselves progressives. And they don't, don't even call themselves modern. They call themselves postmodern. But actual name is they are regressives. They are regressives. They are on the way backwards, on the way back to hell. They are not going forward to heaven. They are not moving towards godliness. They are moving back and back and back to ungodliness. Regressives. And it doesn't happen in one day. Hebrews 2 and verse 1 uses this term. It's a spiritual term actually though. It's a natural term. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Lest we drift away. Don't drift. Don't drift. Don't drift. Drifting is very simple. Drifting is also movement. Yeah. Only movement you are not aware of. When boats are brought to the harbor or the the port wherever you know you, you use the rope and you tie it and you go or let us say you sleep in your boat but the rope came off by the time you wake up you see you are somewhere in the middle of the ocean and you didn't even realize how did you reach there the movement was so gentle like you are tied onto the wharf it was just like that but the problem is the rope is gone you're loose. And you're slowly drifting, drifting, drifting. And then you wake up and you come. Where is the shore? And you do not realize how far churches go away from their mooring. You are supposed to be moved to Christ. M-O-O-R. Moved to Christ. Fastened to Christ. Holding firm to Christ Jesus. Yeah, and that's what uh, Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, 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 carefully watch your doctrine. Carefully follow. Otherwise, what happened? You will not even realize you have drifted away. And all of us are capable of drifting away. Drifting away. And we are going from belief to unbelief. From godliness to ungodliness. From holiness to unholiness. And we know from Romans 14, 23, everything that is not of faith is sin. So we are moving from faith to unbelief, from holiness to sin. We do not, world doesn't see life that way. For them, this huge gap called gray area. Well, in the Bible, there are no gray areas. So we have to be very, 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 very careful. You know when you buy a buy a new bike 
and you zoom and you can do all kinds of tricks on it. You're not supposed to, but what can you do? Young blood will try all kinds of tricks. Two wheels still, they will try to go on one wheel and all that stuff. And it break, crack, all that stuff they will do. But if you keep on using the bike, after some time what happens? The tire becomes bald. Right? Bald. And what happens when you break, it doesn't stop, it skids. Okay? This is the nature of sin. It's the nature of sin. If you keep on going in that route, when you try to stop, it becomes very difficult to stop because sin too has a momentum of its own. It's a momentum of its own. You try to break and you realize it's not stopping. Because like I said, sin has become iniquity. Iniquity. And iniquity is witchcraft. And along with that witchcraft, iniquity, witchcraft, the power of the second realm, also comes something inside which is called stubbornness. Stubbornness. So Saul knows in his head he needs to change, but he's unable to change. He's unable to change. He's unable to change. He knows in his head. Esau knows he's wrong and he's even crying and weeping, but he's not able to bring out a change of mind. That is what happens. See, that's the difference. I always tell the problem is when you look into your life, you always have to look and say, am I a sinner or am I a rebel? Every rebel is a sinner, but every sinner is not a rebel. And there is always hope for the sinner. And the rebel is on a very dangerous knife edge he's standing. David was a sinner. He was never a rebel. Never a rebel. And I always tell young people wherever I go, if you are sinning and you are still broken before God, you have hope. Don't worry, you have hope. But you are sinning and you are not bothered at all and you're this thing, you are just one slip into going into hell. It's like like Korah, Datan and Abihu, uh, Abiram. You are just one slip. After seeing all this, you are the leaders, right? After you saw your big leader, no, Miriam standing outside the camp. All of you had struck quarantine for seven days, though only one was a leper. It was a sign. She was a prophetess, right? Moses' eldest sister. She was the one who took him and put him in the reed boat. She's the one who did everything. And she's the first one to sing and everything, right? Did you see her standing there seven days? White, leprous, has a sign. Don't resist. Go against authority. He is my appointed man. You saw all that, right? And you still, you came around. You think you are the only one holy? So I had to make a lesson of you all. You went down. So they were not, they were not sinners. They were rebels. And you always have to notice the difference. So all those who are hearing, watch out this. You know in certain areas, you are not a sinner. You are actually a rebel. If you are a rebel, you are in big trouble. You are in big trouble. Break rebellion in that area. Cry out to God and say, Lord, I never want to be a rebel. So that's what happens. Your tires get bald. You try to break. It does not stop. It skids. We have to be very, very careful about spiritual things. Very, very careful. We are very careful as parents with our children about material things and worldly things and worldly promotions, everything. But we are very careless about spiritual things. Okay, this is a story. This is also something which I have told you before. Like, you know, in the, 
in the cold in Greenland, all these places where Eskimos live all days. I don't know where they still do it. <coughs> One of the dangerous animals over there in this absolutely snow-covered place is the white wolf. You have seen them. They can smell two miles away. Blood, they can smell. So what the Eskimo does is that he kills, or any hunter there, he kills any small animal and takes a very sharp, razor-sharp knife and puts it in the blood over and over and over and over and over or this thing. And then he jams it, the handle, into the snow and keeps it. All of it is covered with what he calls little ice and all. From far away that fellow can smell. He can smell. He comes and he licks the blood. He licks the blood and he licks the blood. Now the blood is over. But he doesn't know he sliced his tongue. But he's licking his own blood. They say the wolf doesn't make more than a mile before he falls dead. You know how he died? Because he drank his own blood. Drank his own blood. But we don't realize that's what happens every day with the enemy's camp. Devil has planted things everywhere. That's why this not exhaustive list is given about the things of the flesh. Different things are planted. And they are put there at different vantage points for different kinds, all kinds of people. And people don't realize, like the wolf, they have licked. They have licked. And they like it. And they like it. But they don't realize they are drowning in their own blood. They are drowning in. It's not the same thing for everybody. It's not the same thing for everybody. It is not. That's why we have the records of the Lots and the Samsons and the Sauls, all given in detail. And you need to realize each one licked a different thing, a different knife, till they drowned. It was not the same. But the end was the same. It was not the same. So the question we need to ask is that, what is that I hear or like that causes me to compromise with the world? By the way, if you don't keep on hearing the word, you will not even know that you are compromising. Question to those who are hearing is, am I at ease at Zion? When he was probably young, dates, days, nothing are mentioned. We don't know even whether he was married or not. Lot comes into the picture. Okay. He had followed Abraham. The whole Khandan had moved to Haran. He stayed. Terah died. And when Abraham moves into promised land, he also moves with him. We don't know whether he was married or not. Nothing. The Bible is very silent about this man. Okay. We know Abraham during famine went to Egypt. We know Lot also went with him to Egypt. We know Lot also came back out of Egypt. And both men had become too prosperous. And there is conflict between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot. This is basically cattlemen. 
what do the what do the fight is over grass and watering holes these are the two things you need when you have huge flocks you need green grass and you need watering holes so there is too much and there is just few. maybe there is enough grass but there is not enough water we don't know so the time came for them to choose okay we know this very well choose and we all make choices the question is when we make our choices we all made terrible choices in life but now that we are old and we have learned and learned the consequences of it so we always try to warn young our generation do you make a choice according to the world or a choice according to the word there are only two choices ultimately mm-hmm. one is a choice according to the world or one is according to choice according to the word so you see in genesis chapter 13 and verse 10 Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. He lifted his eyes, and so it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of Lot, like the land of Egypt, as you to go to. He lifted. He, that's what he saw. He saw the green, and he saw the water. Okay. Abraham was a Hebrew. Lot was a Cattleman. You getting it? Both were outwardly cattlemen. Inwardly, they weren't. Abraham was a Hebrew who was a cattleman. Lot was a cattleman who was a cattleman. He looked and he saw its green, and he saw plenty of water. So, as a cattleman, how will you think? This is a good place to raise cattle. it's green and it is well watered point to be noted cattle don't go to heaven children do question to be asked is is it a good place to raise my children not raise my cattle that's a question you should have asked point to note everyone who's listen when you make your choices choices it's not about money it's not about money it's not about provision he said seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness i will add what you need you have to ask is this a place where i can grow in holiness or will my holiness be compromised is this a place that is safe for my children you want princeton or you want liberty Liberty has no name in the secular world. Princeton has, but here and here, values are completely different. I don't know liberty. I know it's a Bible. It's a biblical university. There are plenty. Maybe I don't know, but I'm saying just uses using an example. How do we make our choices? do we make a choice looking at our posterity or do we make a choice looking at prosperity have you noticed something that is common about people like lot saul samson none of them ever had a really had a altar in their lives 
So their choices were never defined by God. Though they all wanted God to bless them. And to rescue them. But they had no altar in their lives. Please understand this. People always, what does worldliness mean? <laughs> Another question, right? Worldliness is not so much a matter of geography. It's a matter of heart. It's a matter of heart. We need to realize, especially all young parents and young people who are listening, there is a time when we should protect our children from the world and see that they are soaked in the word of God. Not in word, not in letter, but literally in life. Soaked in the kingdom of God reality. That is the next generation. Otherwise, we will lose them. That's why marriage is such an important decision. First question, Rama, like I asked you, whether you should get married or not is the first question. Once you have decided you should get married, you have to be very, very careful who I am marrying. You make a wrong decision, the next generation is gone. It's gone. Because children are anyway born in iniquity and shaped in iniquity and born in sin. So that means they are all flesh. And if one parent is flesh, flesh will go with flesh. So it's not a joke. Marriage is not a joke. Marriage is a very serious affair for God. He calls his entire relationship of his relationship with Israel as a marriage and his son's relationship with church as a marriage. It's not a joke. So if you don't find, whether you're a man or a woman who's listening, if you don't mind, find a girl who is not spiritually in harmony with you, don't get married. Don't get married. Don't get married. So you will see these people like Lot and all these characters. Lot was in Sodom before his body reached there because his eyes was always there. And this, this is I called, I told them mixed multitude. Mixed multitudes, their minds are always split. They want God, yet they don't want God with them all the time. The mixed mul- they want God, but they don't want Him all the time. So they're always split. When they look at something, they will see it's like the Garden of Eden, and also it is very close to Sodom and Gomorrah. But the Garden of Eden is there to legitimize your choice, because they always have to see that, yeah. So you will always see, no, you always see. Uh, it will be, <laughs> even putting at the simplest thing, you will see a very absolutely worldly half profile on WhatsApp and the next is godly. And how they manage this consistently, I have never figured out. <laughs> that too also is a skill. Evenly divided. Hmm? Okay. So please remember all these parents. All young parents. There is a season. They have to be absolutely protected. And on the other side, soaked in the kingdom. And then they come out. You don't have to worry so much. Because they know God. So God could put a Joseph in Egypt 
Daniel in Babylon, and Esther in Persia, and Nehemiah also in the palace, all at the top, in different Gentile nations. But in their heart, everyone was a Hebrew. Everyone was a Hebrew. They knew their identity. I am part of that nation, the holy nation. They were Hebrews at heart. That's a question. We have to raise our children to be Hebrews at heart. So to all the young people who are listening, if you are listening, that means you made a choice to serve Jesus. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to this broadcast. It's too long. For the world in you to sustain it. (laughs) So please remember, Separation is a choice. Separation is a choice. One of the spiritual truths you need to understand. You can be truly be born again and yet live like an orphan in God's kingdom. That's the prodigal son. He's a son. He's a son. But he's in a far away country. He has a righteous and well-to-do father, but he lives like an orphan. Today's term, he's orphan on the streets with a good father. Are you a son? Yes. But how do you live? Like an orphan. Because to be a child of God is a choice. God is your father. The boy had a father. And if you look at that story, the father had never moved. The father had never changed. The one who moved was the boy. He had never moved. God never moves. He never changes. Truth never changes. It's always the same. The father is always the same in the picture. Our father in heaven is always the same. He's where he is. It is the boy who went and further and further and further he went. He doesn't realize he's on a downward spiral until he reaches the big pen. The same is true about Lot and Samson and King Saul. All of them went the same route. Why do the children of God live like orphans? To live like an orphan is to never experience the fatherhood of God. The fatherhood, this is important. You can know Christ as your savior, but you do not know your father because Jesus said, I have come to take you to the father. But you don't experience the fatherhood of God, which is the most, what do you call you, liberating experience in your life once you have known God as your father. That's why all our children are cool. Absolutely cool. We wish, Jesus said, you need to be like them. You need to be like them. But on the other hand, we are trying to make them like us. They are absolutely cool in the midst of the pandemic. They are happy. They are enjoying themselves. They They are at rest. They are at rest. Cool. But he says, you know what? Lord of God's children are orphans. You know why? Because... To believe in Jesus Christ was a choice, but you didn't make your second choice. Second Corinthians six seventeen to eighteen. I'm only giving you two verses. 
Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Who is he talking to? People who are saved. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's talking to saved people. He said, you are saved, but you cannot experience me as a father until you choose to leave this and to be separated unto me. I am sorry. I can't move. I love you too much, but I can't move. This is who I am. The God of Israel does not change. Does not change. We like the whole idea of Jesus Christ is the same today forever when it comes to miracles and healing and power display. But we don't like the fact it does not ever change when it comes to separation. God says, you know what happens? You do not experience me as a father. And if you have to experience God as your father, the boy has to leave the pig pen and go to his father. Samson has to leave Dalila's lap. That is the world. And Saul has to vacate the throne of flesh. And only the boy goes, the other two don't. Understand this. Our basic struggle is this. Our basic struggle is not so much with knowledge and everybody knows now. <laughs> everybody knows. All those have heard at least seven days out of this 26 days. You know what we are talking about. But you know what? You have to make a choice. How do you make choices? Life choices. Jesus will warn seriously, connected with the last days. Remember Lord's wife. Okay. One woman. Remember. To all the sisters. Remember. Peter in as many words will also tell the other side, remember Sarah. No other woman is lifted up in the new covenant. Lord's wife, Mrs. Lot, Mrs. Abraham. Two people. Not Rebecca, not Rachel, not Zipporah. Nobody. No woman. No woman in the old covenant is lifted up in the new covenant. Except the rest are called holy women, but we are not mentioned. We don't know who the one woman is mentioned. That's only Sarah. Only Sarah. And on the other side, we are told, Mrs. Lot doesn't even identify her by name. The simple argument, if you go by other stories in the New Covenant, is if somebody has made it to hell, they don't have a name. The name means nothing. In the New Covenant, the rich man and Lazarus, Mr. Lot and Mrs. Lot. Mr. Lot is called righteous, so he made it. Mrs. Lot is not named, so she didn't make it. My presumption. I could be right, I could be wrong. So please remember, this entire world has been fashioned like a sharp, razor-sharp knife with blood on it. Your blood on it. Men and women and children are licking on it and dying without even realizing what they like is their own blood. Lot was sitting at the gate of the city. 
yet he had no power to influence its outcome. To reach the city gates, meaning you have gone up, all the way up. All the way up. But you have no power to influence the city. This is a diff- this is a danger of compromise. This is a danger of, when you compromise, though you are a believer, you are a compromise, you have no power to influence the outcome anywhere. Abraham had power to influence an outcome. Kings trembled before him. Isaac, the Abimelech and Fikol, the general come and makes peace with him. Though he never lifted his hand against him, he just moved away. But he has power to influence an outcome. Jacob will leave Pharaoh's presence after blessing Pharaoh. And Joseph will make decisions which will change, influence nations. Daniel will be sought after every regime. Lot, no power. Though he's at the gate. And you have to see this as pictures of church. Philadelphia, though is very small, has incredible influence. God says, I leave the door open for you. No man can shut it. I will see that you have power to influence. Laodicea has no power to influence man or God. Even God is outside. Because if you should have favor with God and favor with man, to change the heart of God towards men, that is power, influence. And Jesus had influence with God, so he could change the whole universe. That's the key. We need influence with God. Lot had no influence. Though he is seated at the seat of power, no influence. And Laodishi has no power to really influence people towards heaven. In 1919, 1919, Genesis 1919. Genesis 1919. Okay, 1919. Oh, not 1999. Did I get it wrong? Yeah, 99, not 9. 99. The townsmen, they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. They scoffed at him. Scoffed at him. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man, Lot. Look at that. After all your years you invested in building your life in this city, you had absolutely no influence. They scoffed at him. In verse 14, He went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-laws he seems to be joking. He was a joke. Did you see that? The problem with compromise, Christians when they compromise, the world scoffs at you, your flesh and blood mock at you. Why? Because you lived a compromised life. And now when you are talking about Second coming and rapture, they laugh at you. You could be, you could be joking. If you believed in the second coming, then why are you living like this among us? You wouldn't be living among us like us. Laughing. Come on. You must be kidding. 
Yet the man who is so far away outside Sodom, that is Abraham, has more influence, power to influence the outcome of Sodom than the man who is in it. See, that's that's the power of separation. That's the power of separation. That man has more power, more power to influence. And if you look at it, chapter 19, you will see at the end of chapter 19 and verse 29, 1929. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Okay? That man had more influence or the outcome in that city than the man who lived there all these years and sat at the gate. He took him out. Please remember, our influence is not determined with men. Our real influence is determined with God. And young my people who are listening, please remember, you cannot hang on to the coattails of somebody else all your life. Abraham and Lot will have to separate. The only question is, when that happens, has Abraham's faith become Lot's faith? Has Abraham's life become Lot's life? Has Lot partaken of the life of Abraham is the question. But separation will take place. God will not allow you to hang on to somebody's coattail all your life. If you do, you will never grow. You will never know what you really believed in. That's why God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you arise. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now arise. I will tell you my side of it. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Now it's your call. What are you going to do about the call? And don't try to imitate Moses. It will not work. It will not work. Where did our wonderful stick go? It disappeared. Okay. How does a stick disappear? Okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay, Peter, don't worry. Because imagine, as I with Moses, I'll be with you. And immediately, he's looking for Moses' stick. I want that stick. I want that stick. I want that stick. I want that. Oh, it's a stick that will, that will take me through. I know every time Moses used the stick, things happen. All I need is that stick. God says, I am not a formula. I am not a, this is why people will study. Church grow, that church grows so much. Let us study the principles behind. God says, that is different. You are different. And you probably don't want to grow like them either. If you had given the stick, after some time, Israel would have made a shrine of the stick. And kept the stick, master stick in the middle and worshipped it. The serpent they worshipped. No, Hustan. He says, no. You are not going to go after the model of... I said, I am with Moses. You don't hear it wrongly that Moses is with you. That's not what I said. <laughs> I said, I am with you. Just as I was with Moses, I am with you. But my, so that will see, you will see, never see Joshua with a rod. The ark will go before. Pattern changes. 
Because if the pattern doesn't change, we will not learn to listen individually and grow individually. You're getting the picture? The pattern. If I tell everybody, just act and talk and walk like me, it's very easy. Look at me and walk like me, talk like me. God says, no, I'm not creating clones. That's the devil's job. He's the cloner. I create individuals, all different and separate with the same spirit in them. Spirit in them. Okay. The question is, do we get those lessons? Abraham will die. But Isaac has to hear from God before the God of Abraham becomes the God of Isaac. And it's when he hears, he says, I am the God of your father, Abraham. I am your God too. Then he can be led by God and he becomes his God. Jacob can manipulate and scheme and steal all the blessings. All kind of jugad he can do. But until he hears from God, the God of Abraham and Isaac does not become the God of Jacob. Though he is the God of Jacob, Jacob will not experience him as the God of Jacob. He has to hear. Each one has to hear and make their choice. And Joseph cannot hang on to the coattails of his father Jacob. He has to be plucked out of Jacob's hands and to be taken to Egypt. But the question is, will he stand in Egypt? Has truth become life or it is just an idea? That's a question. Is truth just an... If truth is an idea, then those are the muscles built in a gym. If truth is love, is life, those are the muscles you see on the workers on the field. They can work six hours, seven hours, eight hours. Those are real muscles. The fellow who goes to the gym and pumps in after one year, because that muscles is artificial. It is artificial. Okay, Eric, I hope you're listening. Joanna must be, Joanna must be cracking up. Okay, it's artificial. Okay, you have to have all that whey and white of the egg and all that. The other fellow, no, he can work and work and work and work and work because that is life. This is an idea. But the problem, people are in love with ideas. And Jesus did not come to give us an idea. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And he said, apart he didn't say, apart from my teachings. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's when he said, started teaching this, people got very upset. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, unless my life becomes your life, forget kingdom of God. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. People got upset. Okay. The spirit of compromise... to be very, very careful. Do we know that our deliverance is connected with our decision? And our decision is connected to our destiny? Three angels 
a little while earlier, three angels, let us put them as three angels. One of them was the Lord, but appeared as three angels, came to Abraham's house. Sarah with the, the servants cooked a nice meal and they all ate. God gave a promise. Sarah laughed and God made a kind of a covenant and he had a discussion, intercession and he left. Two angels came to Lot's house. Mrs. Lot also definitely cooked a meal and they ate. But she heard everything that was being said. It's judgment time. She saw what was happening over there. Get your sons-in-law. She heard it all. But she looked back. She also cooked for God. The other lady also cooked for God. This lady also heard hiding. This girl also must have, lady also must have heard everything. And she had a visible experience of the power of God where the entire city was blinded. All that. What scripture says in Genesis 19 and verse 16, when it was time to leave. 19, 19, 16, 19, 16, 19, he went to 26, Genesis 19 and verse 16. While he lingered, see the husband lingered, the wife a little later will look back. He lingered. Lot lingered. And the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out. The question God is asking us from this one line is, when God is being so merciful to us, are we still lingering? Do you see this entire lockdown? I see it as God's incredible mercy to God's people. Reconcile with me. This is the time of reconciliation. This is the time I am given with you that a church that emerges will be Philadelphia and not Laodicea. Are you still lingering? Question is, are you still lingering? Are you still wandering all over the place? Except GDC especially doesn't have to do anything other than do your housework and eat and take care of your children and listen to these two messages. You don't have to, you don't have to listen to anybody. Honestly telling, you don't have to listen to anybody because I listen for you everything. You don't even have to send a forward news which I haven't already read. You don't have to waste your time. Because you see it in one way, I see it differently. And I can tell you what each of these news means. You're wasting your time wandering all over the internet, listening to all these people when you do not have time to listen to your own shepherd when God says, my shepherd's voice, my sheep here. You're wasting your time. Really wasting your time. Listening to that one and this one and that tube and this tube. Wasting your time if you are not listening to these four hours. The shepherds God has given you. Absolute total waste of time. These 25 days of lockdown. Nothing will come out of it. You don't have to listen to anybody. Because simply because you do not have the ability to discern each preacher. Well, we have. Because we have a gift. Teaching is a gift. It is not acquired in the kingdom of God. It is a gift. And nobody I know in the church has been gifted with that. We have been. We didn't earn it. It was given to us. When he rose to captivity, captivity, he gave gifts to men. And that is one of the gifts. 
It's given by Christ and it is given by the Holy Spirit and it's ratified by Father. So when some person has a gift, you don't have to waste your time when you don't have the gift. All you have to do is a student. And I really, really believe people are wasting their time and not making use of the time. And the problem is once this is over, you will come out depressed, discouraged, nothing having changed. So God can lock you down, but you are wandering all around the place if you are not making use of this time. That's the whole thing. Wandering all around the place. And God is saying, you know, what more can I do? What more can I do? Locked you all in your houses where you cannot go down. You have food. You have families. And all I'm asking you is, just listen and change and pray. Nothing else. He's not asking anything from the church at this time. Listen to the word and pray. You're like, the apostles in Acts chapter 6, we have separated ourselves to the ministry of the word and ministry of prayer. Let the word change your prayer life. But if you are not doing that, what can God do? Do you see that? You look at that verse, read it once again. Three women, one man. It took God Two angels to pull these people out because man could not pull them out of that city. It needed two angels to pull four compromised people out of the city. Human power would not be enough. You needed angelic intervention to pull these people out. Normal strength wouldn't have been possible. Two angelic intervention has to take place to bring out compromised people. Normal. They have to hold them. It is like one angel holding Lot and his wife, another two pulling them out. Angels, you know their strength. You know their power. So we need to also understand the other side, the power of compromise. It's demonic. The power of a split mind is demonic until there is an incredibly godly righteous man interceding and God directly intervening and sending angelic intervention. They cannot be pulled out. That's why I say your prayer life should change now. And people, the church should emerge out as intercessors. And that spirit of compromise destroyed his home. Destroyed his home. And you will see these two lives side by side. Most of you will always see altar. God appearing, God talking, God speaking, God talking. And you will see the other side with this man also. It is progression on the wrong way. It's regression. He looks up, he sees, he chooses, he pitches his tent near the world, then captivity takes place, he is in the world, and then his uncle delivers him. As soon as the uncle's back is turned, he is back into that world. And then the angels give him a message. He's so much compromised. The people are fighting for these two men. He's compromised. He's saying, no, leave them alone. Take my daughters. He's totally compromised. Under pressure, he doesn't know what to do. Because that's what happens when you're compromised. When you're compromised, when pressure comes, you don't know what is a decision to take. But when you have been not compromised, I've been walking with God. When pressure comes, immediately you know what is a decision to do. Because there is clarity. There is clarity. That is what it means, clarity. Clarity of spirit, soul, mind, will, emotions, everything. That is why when one decision, one 
entire world law in that nation, entire nation, a law is proclaimed by the king for 30 days aimed at one man. One man. The entire law is aimed at one man. And I believe this entire lockdown is aimed at one community by God. Let my people be a holy nation. He's locked the church down. Including because he has to do the church and the church is spread around the world, he locked the whole world down. But this is for the world. An entire law was for one man. And scripture says, when he heard, he went and he opened his windows. You need to have open windows where your spirit, your soul, your mind, your will, emotions with clarity hears from God. So there is no confusion with a 17 or a 16 or 18 year old Daniel. He looks at it and he knows exactly what he needs to do. There is pressure. There is tension. All around have compromised. The setting is something you have never seen in your life. The opulence of the Babylonian palace and everything that's there. But there is clarity. Absolute clarity. But under pressure, this man who has compromised Christian, pressure comes. He doesn't know. No, no, no. no, These are my guests. Take my daughters. What happened to you, Lord? What happened to you? And people do not realize under pressure how you react will tell you what your heart is. What your heart is. And that's why God is saying move. And then they pull him out and link, giving me one more chance. Hey, go up to the mountains. We know what mountain signifies. It's a place where you can, God can speak to you, restore and bring you back out of this mess you put yourself. He says, no, this is a small city in the plains. Can I please go there? That is too much for me. So they say, okay, go. And for his sake, God shows mercy to that town too. Doesn't destroy that town. Little later, he realizes, okay, I need to get away from there. He goes up to a mountain. By the time he reaches there, God is not there. And what happens after that is works of darkness. Absolute works of darkness. Why? Because these girls are totally compromised. Their thinking is warped. Because that's, they must have heard, daddy wants to give us to these men. And this city is like this. They have lived in a culture that is absolutely, totally rotten. But it's got into their brains and into their spirit. Because they were never protected. So they made a, a, a decision which looked very rational and smart. And that's what God is talking about. So God says, you need to realize in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, Jesus makes this statement, 9.62, Luke 9 and verse 62. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now we look at it, we don't even understand what he's talking about because we are not caught in that age or that time or that kind of a work. So we don't understand. But you need to realize there are two oxen or one oxen or two oxen, whichever when you are plowing the land, it's used to hand to the plow. Okay, it is the plow. So the plow is there, which is a metal thing which over there. And sometimes when it is one, they stand on it or otherwise they hold it down. The thing is that when you are holding it down with all your weight, you have to hold it down because it has to make the furrow. And you have to keep your eyes straight there. Otherwise, what will happen? It will not be straight. So you have to do two things. One, push it down with all your weight and keep your eyes straight. Otherwise, if you take your eyes off, the oxen will turn. Then you have to come back and do the work all over again. Because then you cannot play. It will be all like crooked like this. That's not how a field is plowed. It has to be a straight line. And then the seed is come and so on like that. Okay? So God is saying, put your whole weight 
on the kingdom of God, in your seeking of your kingdom of God, and keep your eyes straight. Otherwise, what will happen? You will not go straight. You will go off course. You will go off course. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You don't do it that way. You look back, you will end up somewhere else. You won't reach where you are supposed to reach. Okay, that's what God is talking about. Now think about it. Remember that oft-repeated example I gave you? In the 1980s or something, from Anchorage in Alaska, the South Korean Jetta took, took off. But what happened when he was, when he was taking off that pilot, when he punched in the coordinates, he went wrong only by a few digits. Few digits. But you don't realize when it is a 10,000 or 15,000 kilometer journey, what difference a few digits can make. Okay, now I'm standing here. I have to go till the table. Okay, even from here to the table, if I turn my feet a little and I start walking, I won't reach the table. I won't reach the table. Know what happened in South Korean jet? It reached above the Russian airspace, those days Soviet Union, and they shot it down. Everybody died. It was not even supposed to go there. Everybody died. What if, I always, we don't know the story because black box also will not show only conversation if it is there, we don't. What if the captain had kept on every half an hour, one hour, looking at the coordinates and the other coordinates he always had, no printed coordinates if he had. Check with them, check with them, check with them. Am I on course? I'm not on course. Let me check with air traffic controller. I have a doubt over here. I am here, but am I supposed to be here? The coordinates don't match, but he didn't do that. Or did he become very confident of his skills? A religious walk and a spiritual walk is not the same. If he had only checked the readings, right? The reading doesn't tally. That's why we send you daily readings. They call daily readings. Even if you do not have a discipline of going through the word regularly, if you just go through daily readings, you can check your coordinates. Am I on track? Does this agree with my life? Everybody is encouraged to pray daily, read the word of God daily. Was Lot so confident of his success in the world that he was not aware of his spiritual state? Was he? That's what happened to Zion. Zion was at ease at Zion, uh, at, uh, people were at ease at Zion. It is a spiritual Zion. When we reach there, we at ease. Here stand at tension. The captain of the host did not say stand at ease. He said watch, watch, be careful. And as I close, few, few seconds, not few seconds, few minutes, oh, I have time. Mm-hmm. 
Do you realize Abraham never preached? Do you realize Jacob never preached? Isaac never preached? Most of the people you meet in life within the church will be never called to be called to preach. Never called to preach. Preaching is a call. The Bible very actually very carefully says, don't teach, don't preach. Be a testimony. Testimony is something. Very on the other hand, everybody wants to teach and preach. And the Bible wants about that thing. Don't teach, don't preach. Be a testimony. That means be a spiritual Hebrew. But you don't, what Abraham was and Isaac was, they were all intercessors. They were intercessors. And everyone in the body of Christ is called to be an intercessor. Watch and pray. Called to be an intercessor. That nobody wants to be. Though Christ is an intercessor, forever making intercession for the saints, and we are called, 99% of the body of Christ is to call to one ministry of Jesus Christ, which is intercession. And then that one person is called to for the proclamation. But what does 90% want to be? They want to proclaim. They don't want to pray. They don't want to intercede. And that's the struggle of the church. And I'm praying out of this, a bunch of intercessors will rise who have heard and understood because you can't do anything other than pray. That you will learn to pray. Be an intercessor. Be an intercessor. No. In Matthew 10 and verse 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the rooftops. What is he talking about? How do you, how do you explain this spiritually? Though the context is about the last days and all that. But how do you explain this spiritually? Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. Whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the rooftops. Mark 1.35 Now in the morning, having risen long well before daylight, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there he prayed. Was he in the dark? Did he pray? Did he listen? And he came out and preached. came out. He says, there is a time. There is a time. Okay, there is a season God has given. It's a season God and everybody has that season every day. He says, that should be your life. That should be your life. You spend that time with God, then you come out and you become a testimony. And he had no, he had, even in Mark 135, you know he had no confusion. The disciples came looking for him and say the people are waiting. He says, let's go to somewhere else. Because he had heard what your ear hears. Your ear hears. If people were to use these days, getting into that time with God, we call it quiet time, right? 
quiet time. Quiet time. In 10.32, same chapter, Matthew 10.32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Daniel, all these people confessed Christ before men. He says, I will confess you before my... So he's telling to two sets of people. To one set of people, he's saying, like us, he says, be with me in the dark, and I will tell you what to speak in the light. To the others, he is saying that if you confess me before men, you are a witness, you know what, I will intercede for you before my father. Yeah, he is a high priest of a confession. He says, you deny me over here, you go into the world and act if you are not a Hebrew, then I will deny you there. You pray, I will not be able to take your prayer across because you denied me here. You denied me here. You live before people as if you belong to me. And I will talk about you to my father. I will take your prayers to my father. Nobody can circumvent Jesus and take the prayer to the father. Please understand, that is never going to happen. Any prayer has to go through him. It has to go through him. He is the only one qualified, son of man, son of God. And he's telling us two things, both to the preachers, and there are only two sets of people in the entire kingdom of God, the preachers and the intercessors. There are only two sets of people. Those who proclaim and those who intercede. And you ask me, what do you, the church need? They need intercessors. They need intercessors. Everyone is called to watch and pray. But very few are called to teach. So this is what God is talking about. No. Daniel could not preach. In Babylon he could not preach. But he could pray. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and changed the history of Israel. Joseph could not preach. But I believed he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and prayed and changed the history of the world. In so many situations, people cannot preach. You cannot proclaim. But it's a choice whether you want to be a Hebrew or not. That's a spiritual choice. That's your testimony before men. And you can pray. And God says, if you pray, I will confess to my father. I'll take your prayers before God. I'll take. And if the church were to get these two things, Two things. And why is there so much confusion in the church? Because so many people who should have never been preachers are preaching. They should have never been preachers. Because they... It is not how well they read their Bible or whether they went to the Bible college. That is not the criteria. They were never called, so they never had the gift. There is a gift given for a work. So they never had the gift to teach. Whether you are an apostle or you are a prophet or you are a pastor or you are a teacher or anyone, you have to teach. What is common between these five? They all teach. And that's the part of the gifting. Part of the gifting. Because this is the work of God. So it has to be the power of God and the gifting of God. Without that gift, we wouldn't even succeed. We will not be able to function. 
will not be able to function at all. All our secular qualifications is not, it's useless before this. You will only make secular minded Christians. You are very scientific in thinking. That's what has happened, very scientific in thinking. They look at it and use all scientific tools to analyze the Bible and you give scientific names. I have never found something called eschatology and hermeneutics and all. I don't see these words in the Bible. Where did they get these terms from? They use the tools of the world to read the word of God. Meaning you are using man-made tools to analyze the eternal God? I don't want that. I don't want that. When I hear these terms, I go back and check on internet, what did this mean? Because I don't know any of these terms called hermeneutics. I never knew hermeneutics or eschatology and all. Later I found this is what it means. We don't want those. I'm not saying, I'm not saying Bible college. Bible colleges are there in the Bible. You need to have it. But be very careful that the people who go in are the people who are called. And you don't need a qualification to be called except other than the qualification mentioned in First Corinthians chapter 1. These are the kinds of people he calls. The foolish, the ignoble, the weak, the poor. He calls them. But be very sure he has called you to proclaim, to teach. Because if he hasn't proclaimed, then what happens? Then you are called to pray. Everybody is called. You are called to be an intercessor. Stand in the gap. Don't waste your time. Because what is happening? People are wandering all around. All around. Wandering all around. Think I'm talking about GTC. Think about GTC if you, if you are wandering around. You have two pastors who spend hours and hours and hours and hours studying everything, putting it together in prayer, waiting before God. We are doing all this work and you are wandering all around trying to learn. Is that needed? I'm not saying you shouldn't do your personal studies. I'm not saying I'm talking about wandering over the internet, listening to everybody. It only creates more confusion. Only creates more confusion in your minds. Total confusion in your mind. If you are stuck in some dead church where the pastor doesn't study, doesn't preach, gives you a 10 minute sermon, then search. Then search. I understand that. Then after, if you don't have to search, you pray, God will say, get out. You'll die there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, don't waste it. My burden is at this time also will be wasted. This time also will go. People will not come out the way they should come out. A church that emerges which has learned to pray. A praying church. A serving church. Then in these 25-30 days, a couple of one or two teachers arises, we are blessed. We are blessed. Because in that darkness, you understand this is your calling and you receive a gifting and you come out. Then it is a blessing. But other than that, everybody is called to pray. Even the new ones, I hear the testimony of new ones who got saved last week and all. Five hours in prayer. Every day. And I hear that I'm tickled pink because if they had said they've been preaching for five hours, I would have got mad with them. I'm so happy because they're saying we are praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And how did he, when did he get saved? A week back. What are you doing? Praying. So you already heard. <laughs> you heard. Clarity. You heard. You heard. You heard. Awesome. You heard. Just get into your prayer closet and start praying. When you start praying and surrender your body, the Bible is very clear. God will pray through you. 
He will pray through you. He's just looking for people who will pray and he will start praying through you. He's looking for surrender. Will you first surrender to my will before I can use you? Like I said, when I realized I've been called to preach, I didn't know it would be when I came behind the pulpit. And when I started preaching, I realized I have a gift and it is working. And from that day till today, it is working. It is working. No, So we don't struggle. Why? We do our work hard like Paul told Timothy, but we don't struggle because the gift is there. The gift is there. You know? We don't struggle because the gift is there. The gift works. The Moses without the rod is terrible. What will he do? Hit the rock with his hand? No. He needs a rod. You know? He needs a rod. That is his gifting. In the same way, everybody has been called to pray. And when you start praying, that is universal to the church. Everybody was told. What I tell everyone, I, I, what I told you, I tell everyone. Watch and pray. And a time like this has come and a church emerges. All the sisters and brothers, everybody's prayer life changes. Oh boy. Everybody has, is there anybody who's listening who doesn't have problems? Yes. My question is, you have problems. Do you still pray? Has your problems led you into the prayer closet? Where your children grow up, grow up seeing, who? Mommy prays. My mother prays. My mother prays. That's why we have our profile picture on the GTC WhatsApp group. Because there was a mother praying and a child looking at it. And decided to kneel down without even realizing what she was doing. And I got that picture. The mother and the little grandchild praying. You know? For me, that was a defining moment to look at the least little one is looking and says, okay. And in between, she's looking up. I have all that other pictures also looking up whether she's stopping to pray or not. Then she put her head down also. Well, that was a picture. And that was my picture of GTC. Everybody thinks about GTC as a preaching church. No. I want to think about GTC as a praying church. We will preach, but I want the church identity to be a praying church. We are known as a teaching church around the world, but our other churches are known as praying churches. They pray everywhere. They pray and they pray and they pray and they pray. So let our identity change. We are Hebrews. We are intercessors. We have a testimony with God. Therefore, we have a testimony before man. And our testimony before God is that we intercede. And Abraham stood there and he interceded. Change the destiny of his nephew. His nephew did not even know. God remembered. The angels did not tell. Do you know why you are getting out? Because of, they didn't tell him anything. But God heard his prayer. Yet Lot was right there. And he couldn't bring any change. Because he had no prayer life. No prayer life at all. So you want to change the world? You want to see an end time harvest? Your prayer life has to change. Stop wandering like Cain all over the internet. That's the problem. Free time, high-speed internet, and a laptop. Three things that can destroy you during this free time. No. Stop. Pray. Get into your closets and pray. Fast a meal. Anyway, all are becoming round and round during this lockdown. Fast a meal. Okay, when the church finally meets in May, will I recognize you? Okay, okay, that's not this thing. All nice, round, golu, golu church should not emerge. You know, fast one meal, pray, intercede. You know, remember all the children come to me. I will ask them what the parents were doing at home. I will know your secrets. They tell me everything. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay. What's your father and mother praying at home? I will ask. Okay, so let's pray now. Father, we just come to you this evening. We just thank you. We look at the lives of your people, Lord. And we see our lives reflected in them. Either in the eyes of Abraham we see ourselves or in the eyes of Lord we see ourselves. I pray, Father, that the faith of Abraham become our faith and not the compromise of Lot. Let the perseverance of Joseph become our life and not the compromise of Saul or Samson or Lot. That the prophetic life of Jacob till his last hour be our life and not the prophetic life of Laodicea, eyes but blind. Things is rich but poor. Things it is covered but naked. Let it not be our end, Lord. Let a church arise, O oh Lord, everywhere out of this lockdown. Clear-sighted. Absolutely sure what their identity is. Clear what their identity is. I'm a Hebrew. I know I'm an abomination in the eyes of the world. I know so many places where I am sent to work, I will not have fellowship. And I cannot fellowship like them. I am with them. But I cannot fellowship like them. So if I have to eat all my days alone, like Joseph, it is well with my soul. Abomination in the eyes of Egypt, but precious in the sight of the Lord. I pray every believer will have a dual testimony. For Christ himself was despised of all men. Not approved. If that's the price you people have to pay for pursuing holiness, I pray they will be willing to pay that price. That they are God pleasers and not people pleasers. And if the laws of the world are changed to stop you people from praying, yet we will open our windows with clarity and pray. I pray, Father, for strength. That people will receive the word without offense. That flesh should constantly keep dying. That every day they are aware a little of me has died. A little more of Christ has come alive. That to walk with God is no longer a struggle. It is a joy. It is a pleasure. It is what we look forward to every day when our eyes open. One more day in the land of the living to walk with God. Let this be a reality for your people. Not a religious walk, but a spiritual walk with God. Praying men and women, praying children. I pray, Father, now, the spirit of prayer and supplication will come upon the church. Everywhere. Because you have locked them into their prayer closets. Now you are asking, will you pray? 
I use the hands of man to lock you all down in. By the time this is over, will your home be called a house of prayer? That's the only thing that will matter when this is over. And all our homes have become houses of prayer. Because he's put his name on us. And you said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And I pray, Father, that intercessors will arise during these days. Men and women, even children, intercessors will arise. And then the lockdown was successful. Virus would have died, but Christ would have risen in every life. The high priest of our confession, the intercessor of the church in heaven, has a million partners on earth who stand with him shoulder to shoulder. And there will be a great harvest, O Lord. That's our prayer. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. I plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over the church. And I rebuke every power of darkness, every spirit of complacency, apathy, of accommodation, assimilation, every spirit of compromise. I command you to leave. And I pray there will be clarity in the eyes, the minds of your people in their inner man. Clarity that they will bend their knee, even tonight, beside their beds. And cry out to you. Every day they will cry out to you. And they will see God is changing them. From glory to glory. Thank you Father. Thank you. Cover us. Protect us. Keep us. This angel of death will pass over us. It will not touch any one of us or our children. I rebuke that spirit of infirmity in the bodies of your people in the name of Jesus. I command it to leave in Jesus name. And I speak your healing into everybody. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be made whole in Jesus' name. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.